there was parts of my soul that needed tending. And so it was a very valuable failure in the way of it presented an opportunity to get to know myself and to find wholeness without any distraction. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Famous Failures. I'm your host, Ozan Parol. Today's guest on the show is Chelsea Chorus with a K. Chelsea is one of the most preeminent teachers of yoga. Over the course of her career, she's been featured on Live with Kelly and Michael, Pop Sugar, Fitness, Shape, Prevention Magazine, Yoga Journal, Women's Health, and many, many others. She's been teaching yoga since the age of 15, and she has been an avid lifelong learner in numerous movement practices. She shares her vision with thousands of students every year, hosting retreats and teaching classes for Wonderlust. In the interview, we discuss why Chelsea worked so hard in college to land a role in a major New York City production, but quit after just a week of rehearsals. What strategies she used to deal with one of the hardest setbacks in her life, how she manages to take a tragedy and turns it into what she calls a love story, why she meditates on a few choice lines from her favorite poems every morning, and much, much more. This was one of the most honest conversations I've had on the podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I also highly encourage you to check out Chelsea's social media accounts, particularly her Instagram, where she is the most active. You can find her at Chelsea Chorus. So that's C-H-E-L-S-E-Y-K-O-R-U-S. And before I turn things over to Chelsea, I also wanted to mention that if you'd like to keep in touch with me, your host, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, The Weekly Contrarian, which lands in your inbox every Thursday and shares four to five things each week. It could be an article that I wrote. It could be a book that I read. It could be a tool or a quote of some sort that helps you change the way that you view the world and that challenges conventional wisdom in some fashion. You can sign up for that in one of two ways. You can text my first name, Ozan, O-Z-A-N, to 345-345, or you can go to my website, which is ozanvorol.com. That's O-Z-A-N-V as in Victor, A-R-O-L.com forward slash newsletter, and just drop in your email address there. You'll also get my free ebook, The Contrarian Handbook, Eight Principles for Innovating Your Thinking. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Chelsea Chorus, and thank you as always for listening. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ozan. Thank you for having me. So uh, I want to begin with a little bit of your background. So you graduated from college as a, not just a double major, but a triple major. So theater, dance, and vocal performance. Thanks, by the way, for making the rest of us look lazy. <laughs> um, you then moved to New York and landed a role in a production in the city. But after one week of rehearsals, you ended up quitting. Can you walk us through what happened? Yeah. Well, up until that point, um, I'd always done some kind of performing since I was like six years old, you know, like the church plays. And I was part of the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. So I was always like doing these things because that's what I was told I was good at. You know, it was like, oh, you're really good at this. That's what I did. And that's what I studied. But really what I found out through studying vocal performance, theater and dance was people, culture, movement, the body, spirit, you know, like these are the things that I really learned majoring in those things. And so when I graduated and I found myself in a cast where 
my main job was just to have somebody tell me what to be and how to act and what to believe. And, you know, it, it just didn't, it didn't feel like me. I thought, I want to know who I really am and what I've come here to say and what my authentic gifts are as Chelsea. And I just saw it being a way of losing who I really was. And so I just decided to quit. And everyone around me was like, you worked your whole life for this. You know, like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, but I just knew, I knew like in my gut that it wasn't for me. And I just took a step back and that's how that went. And I never went back. I never went back to performing ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you decide to do instead? Well, I have been teaching yoga since I was a teenager. So I never thought it would be a career of mine ever. It was just a, a way of life for me. It was my passion. It's something that I did every day for my own body. And then because I'm a twin, I, I'm, I'm an identical twin. <laughs> so growing up, it was always natural to me that once I learned something, I immediately taught it. You know, it's like I learned how to ride a bike and I taught my sister right then how to ride a bike. You know, I, I learned how to read the word yellow. That was the first word I learned how to read was yellow. And like, I had to then teach her how to read, you know, it was like, it's just a part of who I am. And so um, I just naturally just kept sharing my passion for yoga. And then it turned in to my job. And now that's what I do. But I never thought that it was going to be that way. So I want to go back to what you mentioned before about people pleasing. I'm a recovering people pleaser myself. And uh, and it's something I have to fight with constantly, really. And, and I think a lot of people find themselves in the position you were in when you were wor working on this production in the sense that society, your peers, authority figures might tell you that you should do something, that you're supposed to do something. But then deep down in your gut, and for you, it was yoga, you're telling yourself that you're actually, you must do something else. There's a great book by Al Luna called The Crossroads Between Should and Must. And so for those who find themselves in the position that you were in when you were working on this production, what would you tell them? Like, what advice would you give them to try to deal with the people-pleasing tendency, to deal with the, the instinct to go with the should and instead mm -hmm. turn towards the must? Yeah. A great question. You know, I, back then I'm super young. I just graduated from college. So I probably wasn't the advice I'm going to give now was probably not what I did then. You know, <laughs> I, for, for me at that time, it was just, it was just so black and white. I was like, I know myself. I know how much I care about what people think of me. And I, I know that I'm going to do this times 10, you know, like, and I just, that's not where I want to go. That's why I did that. But now what I would tell somebody is, you know, you can practice this in small ways. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean you have to do a, a total 180. But practicing in your daily life, the word want to, you know, it's like, I want to do this and eliminating the word should, you know, in my house now should is a dirty word. You know, it's like, it's a dirty word and we don't use it because it's just, it's disempowering. I should eat healthy. I should work out. I should read this book. I should. It's like, who is standing next to you with a clipboard marking off every single should, you know, like that's not a thing. That's not a real thing. It's like, that's a total made up entity. It's just stealing your power. So instead it's like, I want to, you know, like I really, I really want to 
meal prep this week and I want to go work out and I want to do this. So the more you get practice in what you want to do and you actually speak that out loud, the shoulds become less and less and less dominating in your life, I think. So I would say start small. And it's, it is with that spoken word that you start to teach the people around you what you believe and what your values are, and then they can hold you accountable. It's not about being perfect, but it's about teaching people, this is what I believe and this is what I stand for and this is what I want. And actually, every now and then I tell myself when I'm stuck in a rut that, and I was doing this unconsciously or subconsciously until you brought it out, but I would tell myself, I'm privileged to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm privileged to be able to work out or I'm privileged to be able to sit down and write this book that I'm writing. Uh, And and so it's it's such a nice way of reframing the should as a desire, want, or as a privilege, which is great. So looking back on your life since the show is about failures, what stands out as a valuable failure that you've had and and what makes it valuable? I love the topic of failure, by the way. (laughs) When I found out that this was this podcast about, I was like, yes, like failure is such a part of my everyday life. It has reframed itself rather than something I run away from. And it's something that I seek out in my life. There's a really good talk from a guy named Ben Bergeron. He's like a CrossFit coach, but he talks about confidence. And he says like confidence is not knowing that you're going to win or even be able to compete with the best because confidence has nothing to do with an outcome. You know, confidence is knowing that whatever comes, I can control my response to it. You know, like that's the confidence. It's like, I know through, and I'll, I'll talk to you about my failures in a second, but it's like, I know that through my failures, I have been brought to the ground, brought to my knees and been able to get back up again. You know, it's like, I know that I can control how I react to anything that comes my way. So it's, it's a less of a scary, like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen to like, I hope it does. Cause I want to see, you know, my response, you know, it's like you start to seek out those people who trigger you because you just want to get to know yourself on a deeper level be like, oh my gosh, I wonder how I'm going to respond if I meet that person. Or if I go and sit next to this person, have a conversation, knowing their views are so different than mine. So I love this topic. Yeah, that, that's great. And so before you move on to your personal failure, I just I just want to briefly pause for a second. So is this something you developed over time, the part about seeking out failure? Or have you always been that way? You know, I've so I've been teaching yoga since I was 15. So I talk a lot. This is my job is just to talk about people and what we deal with. And the only way I know how to teach is through my lived experience, you know, like through my experience. So I can't talk about anybody else's. So mine in the beginning was jealousy. You know, I've always had a lot of like, cause I grew up in a house of five women and it was always about comparison. Like, you know, I have a twin who shares a face with me, you know, so it's like, it's all about <laughs> comparison. So I had to deal with that from a young age of just like being jealous. And when I started teaching yoga, I felt so bad because I'm like, come on, Chelsea, you're a yoga teacher. Like you can't have these feelings. You need to rise above. You need to be happy all the time. So anyways, I realized really through jealousy that human beings are very capable. You know, we're all very capable of a lot of different things. We're very talented, but there's only a certain amount of hours of daylight every day to do and to work on things. So if there's a person that comes onto your path that you have a moment of, of a jealous feeling, like that hot, jealous feeling, not from your ego of like, who does she think she is? But like your heart it goes like, I want that. Like, I wish that I had that skill or that confidence or whatever it is. It's like that person is put on your path as a guide. You know, like that's a very 
it's a holy moment, you know, that that person has entered your life to light your path of like, hey, maybe this is the next step you should take in this direction, you know? So it's not us and them. It's like, whoa, I've got a teacher now. And metaphorically, I can sit at their feet and don't, don't do this in real life, but you know, like <laughs> metaphorically, you can sit at them and, and in awe, you know, in awe of like, wow, I honor all of the work that it took for you to get here. You know, it's like, I just want to learn from you. So you have more allies, more people on your team and less enemies. Then you start opening it up to all triggers. It's like not just the jealous ones, but it's also people you admire, you know, like somebody you're like, wow, I admire you. This part of your character is something that I would love to have more of in my life. So you start thinking about life happening for you rather than to you. I love that. And I love the reframing of the competitor, the person you're jealous of as an ally. And that I think expands way beyond just the people that we might be jealous about or we, people we might admire as well. I tend to do this to my inner critic. <laughs> We're told to sort of silence our inner critic, but that has never worked for me. You know, when I try to silence this this person who lives inside of my head, it starts doing push-ups and downing Red Bulls yeah. <laughs> and like comes back stronger than ever. <laughs> but it's only I when I so started much. treating this self-critic as an ally and saying, you know, I love you as opposed to I hate you, that actually that, that self-critic became this valuable companion to me. So that really resonates with me. There's a book called Wild Mind by Bill Plotkin, and he'll call that part of yourself your loyal soldier. Mm. You know, like there's a, there's a part of you that, you know, whatever you had to go through, everybody has a childhood. You know, everybody comes into the world thinking like everything is possible. And then our parents or our mentors or our people are trying to get us into society where it's like, no, you can't be naked in public. No, you can't run toward that cliff. No, you can't you eat that. You can't. And they start putting these boundaries on. And so we create this like loyal soldier that's there to protect us and keep us safe in our communities, you know, like, so we don't stand out. So we're not ostracized, like that kind of a thing. So that loyal soldier is there to keep you alive in those younger years. But once you become an adult, it's like that war, that particular war is over, but that loyal soldier still thinks the war is on. And so it's the only way to like reconcile that is to welcome that loyal soldier back as a hero and not as a lunatic. You know, it's, right. like, it's, like, it's like, you're, you're a hero. Like for all these years, you've kept me safe. You know, for all these years, you, you kept me in a community. So I had, you know, a community. So anyway, I, I deal with that loyal soldier all the time where it's like, ooh, don't be too bright. Don't be too strong. Don't be too fast. Don't be, you know, like, ooh, 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 easy, Charles. And I look at that person inside of myself like, hey, like, thank you so much for keeping me safe. Right now, that war is over and I'm going to get stronger and I'm going to be brighter and I'm going to speak my truth but I love you for trying to keep me safe. You know, <laughs> it's like I, I love you, but I'm going to play big. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So what's been one of the most valuable failures you've had in your life? The one that comes to mind when I think of failure is it's often in relationships because I, I value relationships so much. So there was one particular relationship I had. I was living in New York City. I was there for seven years. I built a business and never took a day off in seven years, actually. <laughs> Worked every day. And then I met this person who lived in LA and ended up, you know, selling everything and getting rid of that business and moving my whole life to a brand new place where I had no friends or family. And uh, soon after I moved there with this guy, it failed. It didn't work out, you know. Um, and there I am. All of my bridges back in New York were no longer there. And I had to like figure out how to 
start a job in LA and I didn't have any friends or family. And at that moment, I'm looking for like my own studio apartment and I'm just like, wow, this is, this is a failure. You know, it's like, yeah. I really, I really, I really failed this one. All of my savings was gone because of what it cost to like move across the country. And I was like, wow, this is really it. But the reason why I think of it as a valuable one was because what it revealed to me was like, that I couldn't run. Like there was no distraction, you know, there, I didn't have friends or family. I ended up getting the love of my life, which is a 20 pound rescue dog named Lozen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Her, her and I are, you know, partners in crime, but you know, I got her and I, I just, I stayed single for a few years because I realized that there was, there was parts of my soul that needed tending. And so it was a very valuable failure in the way of it presented an opportunity to get to know myself and to find wholeness without any distraction with that. Cause I knew that people pleaser in me, if I was around family and friends, I would just tend to them. That's what I would do. I would just get very busy tending to them. So yeah, I was just alone for a couple of years in Los Angeles and I would drive out into the mountains every day for 365 days. I committed to doing this one trail up this mountain and I did it barefoot wow. every day because I, I knew that there was parts of me that just needed healing. And that was my way I was going to do it was just doing a lot of meditation, a lot of listening, but just being committed to something, having discipline towards the practice of every single day, rain or shine, I'm going to come to this place as my sit spot. And I'm going to just be with whatever is here. You know what, if I need to cry, I'm going to cry. If I need to dance, I'm going to dance. If I need to sing, I'm going to sing, but this is what I'm going to do. And you know, I'm touring now and teaching on really is coming from that time of stillness in nature and the lessons that I learned there. So I don't think I would have ever given myself that time if I wouldn't have, quote unquote, failed that relationship and found myself in a completely different world. That story about uh, walking barefoot down this path and listening to your body it reminded me of something you wrote in a, in a recent article. I'm going to quote here. You said, I'm captivated by the story my body has to tell. Some days it's a tragedy and others a comedy. But if I truly listen, it always ends as a love story. That's a beautiful quote. Can you give us some, some context to that and how you go about turning these tragedies other than, you know, being in nature at one with yourself, but how you take a tragedy and, and turn it into a love story? And where'd you find that? That's great. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I guess I think of this love song as like every time you wake up, okay, like you you get another day. I think of that there's a love song being sung over each and every one of us. It's like you were chosen to live another day, you know, and it's like there is this song and it's your invitation is how are you going to respond? You know, it's like, what is your response? Do you join in? Do you add a lyric? Do you just listen? You know, it's like, what, what is your response? So, you know, when I would do, when I go into nature, nature just does that. Like she, she is singing all of the time, you know, it's this beautiful thing. And, and in the times that I was really broken or there was a lot of healing that needed to happen, I could, there were, I could lean back and like the wind would catch my back, you know, or it brushed through my hair. And I felt like this nurturing, mothering presence. So no matter what pain I was going through, there was always this presence of, I've got you, you're safe, you're protected, 
you know, we, we've got this. I'm so proud of you. You know, it's like, it, it takes a lot of courage to meet this pain. You know, it's like, and that's always what I felt. And that's kind of why I was attracted to this one place because there were no humans around in this particular trail. Um, I had to drive two hours to get to it every oh, wow. day, but I had no friends or family and nothing to do. So <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> it kind of ate up my days, you know, I would go to work and then after work, that's all I, that's what I would do there were no humans around. So it was really, it was, it was really just me and, and mother nature. So I guess it's not so much a spinning because it's not like the pain just goes away. You know, it's like, Oh, it's a tragedy. And now it's a love song. It's, there is always a love song, you know, there's, it's always happening all the time. And it's, it's just me returning back to it as if like, it is my, my true self. That's my true state is love. And I'm going to go through all these ebbs and flows, but my true state is there and I just need to come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, remember my way back. That reminds me of a quote from Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love. She says, interesting outcomes are awful outcomes with the volume of drama turned all the way down. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a, there's a way of reframing tragedy as a comedy, as a story, as a love story in, yeah. in your case. and so. So I really like that. We haven't talked about your yoga practice and, and teaching. So how does that influence, if at all, the way that you respond to disappointment or failure? The reason why I love yoga and I'm, I haven't been sick of it yet, and it's been almost 20 years, you know, <laughs> because yoga really is just this union of your body, mind and spirit. So your body is going to go through all what a body does. You know, it's going to have pain and it's going to have pleasure and it's going to have ups and downs and depression and joy and all of these things. It's like your body is constantly changing. It never stays the same, you know, but then you have your soul, which is this well that you are born with that is constant. You know, it's like, this is who you are. This is your true and authentic gift to bring to the world. It's like the acorn has the blueprint to become a huge oak tree. That's what we have. You know, we have this like beautiful blueprint of what we are to become. And we don't know what that is because if we did, we'd be so bored, you know, <laughs> we'd just be bored. But it is this constant, you know, unconditional state. So how do you do that? How do you deal with a body that's constantly impermanent, you know, constantly changing and a soul that is so constant and so eternal. That paradox never gets boring for me to talk about. The best way to do that is through failure. And I'm thinking now of a, a Rilke poem. Do you, have, you, have you ever heard the poem, The Man Watching by Rilke? No, I haven't. So Rilke says, when we win, it's with small things and the triumph itself makes us small. What is extraordinary and eternal does not want to be bent by us. I mean, the angel who appeared to the wrestler of the Old Testament when the wrestler's sinews grew long like metal strings, he felt them under his fingers like chords of deep music. Whoever was beaten by this angel, who often simply declined the fight, went away proud and strengthened and great from that harsh hand that needed him as if to change his shape. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows, by being defeated, decisively so, by constantly greater beings." So it's like this poem comes back to my psyche all of the time. It's like winning does not tempt that man for this is how he grows, mm -hmm. you know? So when I go through failures or when I have disappointments or when I go for something and it doesn't work out, 
like it is those times that I have my deepest, most profound lessons. So if I can get out of my own way and, and step away from the, the ego self that just wants to look perfect and, you know, bulletproof, if I can get, get rid of that and show up in my vulnerability and say, Hey, I really tried and I failed, but this is what happened. And this is what I learned. That's when I can really, I think, speak truth into people's lives because we can say same, everybody's got pain and we can say, yeah, that, that's, that's the same with me. You know, like it may not be exactly the same story, but I totally get that struggle and I'm not alone. Like, wow, other people feel the way that I feel. So I get to show up in my yoga practice and teach from that place almost every day. You know, <laughs> like failures are the meat and potatoes of what I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the poem, uh, winning doesn't tempt that man. This is how he grows. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's absolutely right because very little learning happens when we succeed because, you know, you're popping champagne corks and and, uh, <laughs> and celebrating and really we don't look back and realize that the line between failure and success is often exceedingly thin and what succeeded may have easily failed, <laughs> But it's only in these moments of failure that we actually learn. Do you share your failures with your yoga classes? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the time. How do the students respond? Like human beings. You know, I think that in this day and age, in this like digital age where it's like you take a snapshot of your life and it's beautiful lighting and it's you make up on and it's this and it's that and it's edited and, you know, it can be a slippery slope. You're like, wow, people are living these like flawless lives and it can be very tempting, you know, it says winning doesn't tempt this man, but it can be very tempting in this day and age to win, to be followed, to be liked. You know, it's like, it's such a, it's such a, a, a trap really. Um, so if I'm going to show up in the mindful in the mindfulness, you know, field, I have to call that out in myself. You know, I have to be like, yeah, I, I'm not perfect. I, I fall into that trap too. And let's just talk about it. You know, like, let's talk about not winning, you know, and like not being tempted by winning. Let's talk about losing the burden that it is that we carry to make it, you know, or to be successful or to be liked or followed, you know, like, let's just talk about this. I may not have the answers, but let's just call it out for what it is and say, we're all struggling a little bit with that. And how do we, how do we go through today in just a small way to not be tempted by winning? because <laughs> it's not how we grow. <laughs> One of the, I think, refreshing things about your social media accounts in this day and age, as you said, where people are putting out their the curated portrayals of their very imperfect lives, is that you actually do talk about your failures on there. And, and I noticed the post, and by the way, I encourage everyone to check out Chelsea's Instagram account. Uh, but this was actually on on Facebook, I think, from August 22nd. I don't know if you remember, but you told the story of being demoralized by an email you received. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through what happened and, and how you felt? Yeah, totally. So I get lots and lots and lots of emails and messages. And I feel very blessed to have so many people reach out and say extremely positive things. Like there are such good people in this world um, that, that do encourage you. And then there are always those emails that come in that aren't so positive. And this, this particular one got to me because the email was basically like that it said feedback in the subject line. And I was like, okay, I can, I could use some feedback, you know? So I opened it and it was just this person saying, you know, you're smart, you're too happy. You're, you're too, 
you're too bright, you're too smiley, you're laughing all the time. It's like, who, who do you think you are? Um, you're the laughing stock of the yoga community. You know, like we, we laugh at you basically. <laughs> and, and it hurt, you know, like I, I read that and I was, you know, this is a couple weeks ago. Um, and I'm in the busiest season of my life right now, like literally traveling sometimes every other day on an airplane teaching these big festivals. And, and at this point I was going to do like a double work day in Boston. And I was just, I was tired and it just, it kind of struck me down. I was like, wow, you're, you're speaking on behalf of the entire yoga community. And you're telling me that I'm an embarrassment, you know, like the, the way that I show up is embarrassing, you know, it's like, wow, that, that really stings. You know? <laughs> and so what I did was I, I forwarded the email to my fiance, um, who is the most positive person I know. <laughs> and I just wanted somebody else to read it. So I wasn't like carrying it and we could just talk about it. And so that's what we did. And, and we talked about it. And at first he was like, I'm so sorry, that must sting. I'm like, yeah, it does. And I'm like, but I don't want to just be angry and delete it and hold on to this this harsh energy. I want to, I want to reach back out, but I don't know how. And so we constructed an email back that was very kind, but also just like, Hey, this is, this is who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a half glass, half full kind of gal, you know? (laughs) Um, but I didn't get this way just by nothing, you know, like I've had a really hard go and, and in a lot of ways, and I work really hard to keep this positive outlook and, and, and then I ended it with, if you have any, um, because another part of the email was, you're just not relatable. You know, like we don't, we can't relate with that much happiness and joy. And I was like, if you want to give me more feedback on how I can be relatable, but still being my authentic self, I would love to hear it basically. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I got a response right away. And the beginning said, I used to take your classes in New York city and you weren't this way. And that's why I don't believe you, you know, that you're like happy all the time. And I stopped reading the email right there. And I was like, Oh my goodness. You know, wow, this is the biggest gift in the world, actually. Like I thought that this was coming to attack me, but this is actually here to build me up because what what this person did was recall the time that I was going through one of the hardest like breakups at this time. This is like a decade ago, but it was like the hardest breakup. And um, it really, it really struck me down and I could barely get out of bed in the morning. You know, like I was so down and that's what I did. I like, I pulled myself up out of bed and that was enough. And I got myself to that yoga room and I stood in front of those people and I said, I'm broken. I don't have all the answers, but let's do yoga anyway together, you know? (laughs) And that's, and that's how I showed up because I, I don't know how to be anything but who I am, you know, like that's just, it's just, that's who I am. (laughs) So I, I would teach from that place. And she, I like, I completely forgot about that time. Like I forgot that that's how I would show up. I was just so proud of that wounded person, you know, like that, that I still have within me, you know, like, it's not like that just goes away. Like that, that wounded person in me is still there. And it's like, it's, I reach into that well of that person all of the time when I need compassion, you know, for somebody else. I'm so glad she's there, you know, it's like, otherwise I would not know at all how to relate. So I didn't respond back, but that sinking in my stomach feeling of when I read the first email turned into like this rising in spirit in the second email. I was like, wow, look how far I've come. Oh my goodness. You know, look at all this healing that I've done. I have even more reason to smile and and be joyful, you know? (laughs) So that was that share. What you said about being able to relate to others because you've been wounded in the past really resonated with me. 
because it's, it's just hard to do that. You can hear somebody else's story, but unless you've actually suffered, you've experienced failure, pain in some fashion, it becomes really hard to relate to the other person. So, you know, it's, it's good to be grateful for this wounded person who lives inside of you. And what a nice reminder, looking at it from the perspective of a student too, of realizing how far you come. So you recently taught a class at Adidas, uh, where my wife, Kathy, works. She actually, she came home right after the class. She took the class you taught. Uh, there was a Q&A period right after. And she came home and uh, she said, you've got to interview Chelsea. <laughs> so in the, uh, in, in the Q&A period, one of the things that struck Kathy was you quoted this poem from Donna Markova. And the, the line was, I choose to risk my significance to mm-hmm. live so that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom. Mm-hmm. Why is that quote meaningful to you? It's the risk my significance piece is so, I don't think that that's the part of the poem, maybe that people read and they hold on to. Maybe they do, but I don't, I don't think they do. I think they go more towards the seed to the blossom. Like I need to bloom. You know, it's like I, I have to take my potential, optimize it, go from A to B as quickly as possible and, and bloom now. You know, like I think that's <laughs> that could be um, what people focus on. But when I read that poem and why I keep coming back to that one is actually the I choose to risk my significance, you know, and what does that mean to me in a daily life is like, OK, if I say I'm a yoga teacher. That's who I am. What can I do today to risk my significance as a yoga teacher? I'm going to go take a CrossFit class. I'm going to lift some weights. I'm going to train for a marathon. I'm going to do something that's so not yoga. You know, like I'm going to go to this gym and it's going to have like, let the bodies hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. You know, it's like, it's like, that's not yoga. You know, like that's nothing about that is yoga. You know, but it's like, am I going to run from those things or am I going to risk it? I'm going to risk it because that's how I'm going to grow as a, as a yoga practitioner. It's like, how can I risk my significance in my relationship? How can I risk my significance as a sister, as a daughter? It's like, it's like being able to, you know, destabilize that part of ourselves that's so rehearsed. Like this is who I am and this is how I'll always be. Risk that. You know, how can you knock that part of yourself a little off its kilter so that you can become more permeable so that something new can find you? You know, if we keep holding our hands closed, nothing new can be put into your hands ever. You know, it's like, how can I loosen my grip on what I think I know to be true to find something that is more universal? So that's what that poem means to me. And I think about it. I meditate on that every single day, actually, like that, that one phrase. And it comes up when I'm really digging my heels in where I'm like, no, this is how it needs to be. It's like the little voice goes, Hey, Charles, risk your significance. You know, it's like, come on, there's more risk it. (laughs) Well, I think that's a perfect note to wrap up this conversation on. Before we close though, I do want to give you an opportunity to the extent that you've got any parting words on failure, really anything that that we should have covered, but we did not cover, I want to give you an opportunity to share with our audience. No, I mean, I I have one more from Rilke, because it's sitting in front of my face right now on a note card. (laughs) It's just sitting on my table. So I guess I, I guess I'm supposed to read it. It says you are not dead yet. It is not too late to open your depths by plunging into them and drink in the life that reveals itself quietly there. I think that sometimes we get into this place of like big successes or big failures. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to fail big or I'm going to win big. And sometimes 
it's in those like quiet little moments that you get those big downloads, you know, so it's not seeking those, those big swings all the time. Sometimes it's just those little moments of, of peace or, or pain or whatever that feeling is and just drinking in the life that reveals itself there. Amazing. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you online? Chelsea Chorus, everything. Chorus with a K, K-O-R-U-S. But that's my website is just ChelseaChorus.com and Chelsea Chorus on Facebook and Chelsea Chorus on Instagram. Thank you so much again for joining us, for sharing your wisdom. Really appreciated our conversation. Same here. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. Two things before you take off. First, if you don't want to miss out on future episodes of Famous Failures, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Second, if you'd like to join thousands of others who receive a short email from me each Thursday with a list of articles, books, tools, quotes, and other gems that help you discover how extraordinary thinking produces extraordinary results, you can text my first name, which is Ozan, that's spelled O-Z-A-N, to 345-345. So once again, that's my first name, Ozan, O-Z-A-N, to 345-345. Or if you're in front of your computer, you can head over to ozanvarol.com and drop your email address. If you act now, you'll also get a free ebook called The Contrarian Handbook, Eight Principles to Innovate Your Thinking. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.